0: visitors that are here this morning. What a blessing. It's a blessing to have you to be here to share our uh, services here, uh, preaching the Word of God, praying, worshiping Him, and uh, a blessing to have you here. Hopefully this will be a a good Sunday for you. We're glad that you're with us. We want to do just what the music has been uh, advocating this morning that is lift Him up and thank Him and praise Him and honor and glorify the Lord. He is so wonderful. I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm so glad that I know the Lord. I'm so glad that he took the patience needed to run me down and to present salvation to me. And so now I'm, I'm in Christ and it's got nothing to do with my goodness or my effort. It's all of his glory. I'm so glad I'm saved. Glad that I know him. All right. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 14. We're going to read two verses this morning and we'll just uh, focus on the first verse, but to try to get it in context. Um, David in his prayer to God, his interaction to God, he says, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? Now the sort that he's talking about is he's going to be building the temple. He's, remember he's moving off the scene. His uh, son Solomon is a- about to take the throne and uh, he couldn't build the temple himself. He really wanted to. He really wanted to honor the Lord and, and he's, he's uh, uh, emphasizing the importance of that to his people, to his son, saying this palace is not for man, but it's for the Lord God. And and uh, what he was able to do was just mass uh, some materials and 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 uh, uh, build up some some uh, uh, construction materials, raw materials for this building to be built. And uh, he was glad to give that. He was glad to to. Uh, sacrifice that of his own personal things, of the nation, but of his own personal things to the Lord. And he's saying, thank you, God, for allowing us to offer these things. But his question was, who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort?" For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all our fathers our days on the earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. Thank you, God, for this, the text that we read, this, the word of God, the prayer that David prayed to you, his interaction with you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand, uh, to, to answer the question that David asks. It's maybe uh, you'd look at it as a rhetorical question. It's an implied answer, but Lord, the, the question is, who is man? He says, who am I? Who am I that I have this privilege to interact with you? Who are we that we as your people, we get to know you and, and, uh, and to be loved of you? Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to answer that question, who am I? Lord, I pray that you just bless, bless and everything that's said and done here this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The last time that we were here, this was before Resurrection Sunday. Last Sunday and, and uh, had a great Sunday last week. And we have many visitors, usually many visitors on a, on a Sunday like that, where there's lost of the community. And if anybody's going to come to church, they're going to probably be in church on a Sunday, which is Easter or Christmas, uh, because many times they have a religious um tradition that they're in church on on those kind of days even though they're not church goers or whatever maybe outside maybe never been born again And so we really try to make an effort to reach out to those who don't know christ <coughs> To try to present the lord jesus christ and salvation On high days like that and, and days where we can get our, our uh, friends and neighbors to come And uh, so that was last week, but the week before that as we're, as we're going through first chronicles chapter 29 in our um uh, series, All In For Him. That's what the whole chapter is about. Uh, David and the people getting all in. I mean, nothing reserved. Just jumping in and serving God with everything that they have. And of course, that's our, our theme this year. And as we were in this, uh, that section, uh, I guess it was verse number 12 last time, not last week, but the week before. We looked at verse 12 with the thoughts that God promotes. It's God that brings one up or brings one down. God promotes. We said it is God who promotes or demotes, but it's certainly God who judges. First Chronicles 29, 12, both riches, he says, both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great. And so it's God that promotes, and God, God that brings one up or that honors one, and God that, that uh, uh, demotes or brings one down. Now, today, in this, as we continue in this passage, uh, this uh, uh, section of scripture here, this is the prayer and the interaction that David has with God, and he asks that great question. And you can look at it, look at it as rhetorical, like I said, my prayer. But uh, he asks, "Who am I?" Boy, that's a good question. The implied answer is, "I am nothing." I'm insignificant to interact with the God of the universe. And that's what he's saying there. Put in the context, he's saying, who am I compared to God? Who am I in this backdrop? Who am I to to, uh, have interaction with the creator? What a great question. Who am I? The answer to that question of who or what man is takes on vastly differing answers depending on the context. Depending on the perspective or the comparison, if you will, of what he's talking about or, or, or the context of what he's, what he's saying here. For instance, when contrasted with the environment, where we are, we're placed on this planet with uh, uh, life teeming everywhere. And we could say, well, who, is, who, who are we? Wh- what is man? Where do we fit in this whole thing? And it's, it's not the Planet of the Apes fantasy kind of thing where, you know, there's other creatures that actually, you know, rise to our intellect and our, you know, uh, position. No, that, that's fantasy. We are, we are so much further above the creation around us because of how that God made us. And we have a brain and we, we can think about things and we can, we can actually uh, recognize the creator we're on a planet to where uh, we can actually observe the rest of the universe. You know what? That didn't have to be like that. God could have made us in a, in a shrouded fog or, or a dense uh, star cluster cover where we re- really wouldn't be able to see uh, the, the far reaches of the universe. But you could go out into a night sky and look out into the vast expanses of space, and it's only man that comes up with the questions it's only man that, that, that uh, 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 contemplates that, that emptiness in his soul, in his heart, that he, he wants to connect with the eternal, with the, with the uh, uh, God of the universe, with the creator. Th- there are all kinds of videos nowadays that you can click onto that talk about uh, how um, man is awesome. And I don't remember all the titles of this, but you can click on, you know, Uh, the greatness of man. And you have somebody throwing a basket, you know, uh, a mile away and it jumps and goes through the hoop or something like that. Or uh, doing some kind of a physical uh, jumping or, you know, some kind of a feat like that. And wow, man is is amazing. Man is awesome. Well, you know, that's in, you know, if you look at it like that, yeah, there's there's some really wonderful, amazing things that, that people can do. People get to, to working at their job or their their practice or their whatever it is that they do, and they, and they become machine-like, and they're amazing in, in what the abilities that man has in those senses, and you can look at that and say, wow, man is awesome, or the achievements of man. You can take a look at the, uh, the architectural achievements and the, and the technological achievements and the Literary achievements of man and, and, I mean, looking at man, depending on how you're looking at man, you could say, well, man is this or man is that. Man is certainly great, victorious, special, set apart. Depending on how you look at mankind and and who we are, we have a sense of nobility. Nobility. In, in different areas, in the artistic realm or the moral realm or the eternal realm, you know, there's nothing else on earth that even has a concept of morality, of a conscience, right or wrong, good or bad. I know that's, you know, somewhat mirrored in animals. Like I had a dog, uh, his name was Max, and whenever we'd come in and he'd do something that he wasn't supposed to do, he knew he wasn't supposed to do it, and, you know, usually I'd, I'd come in the house and he's... Master, how are you doing? And his tail's going, and he's jumping all over me, and he's just so happy, just like my kids were when I came home. But anyway, um, but uh, whenever he would do something bad, and he wasn't supposed to be on the couch or wasn't supposed to be doing whatever, and uh, he did something, and, uh, you know, I'd come in, and he'd hide. You know, what? What's going on? I knew right away. He did it. He did it, you know. Go look for what it was. Oh, there it is, and bring him out there. Okay, Max, did you do that? And he'd, he'd turn over, like, okay, beat me, go ahead, I'm going <laughs> to die, I, I can't get away from you, beat... You know, <laughs> so, kind of had a conscience, you know, but not really. I mean, they, they know the, you know, uh, uh, instant karma kind of thing, but they don't, animals don't have a conscience. They don't, they don't have morality. That's only mankind. That's only the human race. And, and I, know, I know there's atheists that, you know, they... they they hate I mean, with a passion, especially the the modern atheist they they're they 're obsessed with hating this concept of a god that who is not there, but nonetheless they and but they claim that they could be good and they could go ahead and, and, and be somebody who doesn't have a concept of eternal judgment and that kind of thing when we die, we die, and that 's it, and they can claim to have some kind of a morality, but it's borrowed from the, the Bible, actually, it's borrowed from Christianity because of what the Bible teaches about this God that we are going to stand and give account of and give account to in eternity. And you know what? Uh, they can say that, well, no, a person can be good without God. Well, no, if there's, if there's no uh, absolute authority, what is right and wrong, the laws of God, then anything goes. Your morality and his morality or her morality, it doesn't matter. Anything goes, and it's just as good as anything else. If I want to go ahead and kill you, I can go ahead and kill you, and there, there is no right and wrong for that, and there's really no, no defense there. See, because man has a sense of what is right. Man has a sense of justice, and only man has that, and that's why I say in, in that sense, Uh, He he's a moral creature. He's a creature that looks up into the night sky and understands in the vastness of of where we've been placed. That what about the eternal? Where are you going to be after you after you give up the ghost here? Where are you going to be after two minutes after you die? You're not going to be in that body that's laying in that coffin or on that floor. No. You're going to be someplace. Man man understands that. There's a sense of the eternal. And that's why the Bible says he's he's got eternity in his soul. There's a recognition of that. So depending on how you look at man, I mean, the the question, it's a good question, who am I? What is man? Uh, Looking at that question, who am I, um, if you were to take a look at it as someone who is here by chance in a material universe. In that context, if, if there were no God and uh, this was an, a, a natural, purely physical universe without purpose or design of a creator, well, then one could understand the, uh, the mistaken identity that is so prevalent nowadays in the society that man is a consumer or maybe put it this way, man is an abuser of his surroundings. He's uh, a, uh, well, what do you call it? Parasite. Man is a parasite. Man is looked at like that. He's a disease on the earth. He's an intruder. He's a disruptor of how things have gone because if this earth has been around billions of years and and it's taken so long to to uh, form and to cool and then life uh, by chance to be here on earth, there was no, no divine guiding principles. We're just here because we're here materialistic and there is no soul, there is no other dimension. This is all we are and when we're dead, we're gone. And if you look at man like that, well then you can understand, you can see how uh, one would... would uh, give man the mistaken identity that, that he's an intruder here after so many millions of years, and we've only been around in, in several thousands of years and and, and uh, uh, already done the the, the uh, disruption that we have. Without our noble purpose and intended role, if we are the chance results of billions of years of unintelligent mutations then we're no better than any animal or any plant or any bacteria. Like a virus. You're a virus. That needs to get some penicillin to put you out of your misery. <laughs> well, no, that's, that is actually how the liberal mindset is nowadays, looking at man. I mean, you see that in, in uh, uh, our entertainment. You see that in... The, the philosophy of behind liberalism you, you see that in in movies and in uh, books that that come out science fiction uh the avatars and the lately well this was a, a remake of the 1950 movie uh, um, the the uh, the day the earth stood still you know here we get some uh visitors from aliens that are so much more advanced and they say okay you're you're you've blown it you're just a, a violent race that is just You know, you're you're uh, you're that parasite. You're that problem that needs to be eliminated so that uh, the the universe could go on without you. But folks, that's minus the truth of our origin and purpose. What is man? Now, now, folks, it's, it's vastly different. If you were going to look at uh, man in the naturalistic and evolutionary world of just by chance, and there is no creator, no designer, no, no uh, moral uh, being that has created us, placed us here with a purpose, if that's the way that you're looking at who we are, well, then, yeah, whatever, whatever you feel like, do it. Because you're going to be dead soon and just get everything that you can in life, and, and that's it, that's it. Or, if you look at it in the biblical, in the way things are truly, no, 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 we are created. And we're created with an intended purpose. God created us for a reason. And, and we, we have value in that who we are of the, the, the origin and purpose of God. Man is not an intruder. He's not a virus. Man is the regal heir to the throne of the earth in the light of his purpose and intended position. If God has indeed placed man as the pinnacle of his creation, then it's well within his place to use or to discover to conquer the material universe. I know we have environmentalists nowadays that we just went through this Earth Day thing. man's big and it's getting bigger every year. And, you know, that uh, we, don't le- we shouldn't leave any kind of a footprint in we- because we're intruders. We're, we're, we're the ones that don't really belong here. And so we shouldn't use things. We shouldn't. Well, that's, actually, that's not the truth. That's not what God made us, intended us to do or to be in this environment that he set us in. God has placed man as the pinnacle of his creation. And it is his place to use and to discover and to conquer the material universe. After that amazing, impressive, unparalleled work of those first five days of creation that we read about in our Bible, in that Bible that's on your lap, we read of those days where God created from nothing, created something. He did something so unique, so special, so purposed all along the way, and on the sixth day, it was a special day that the Bible says, he revealed the reason for the creation of the whole terrarium. When I was a kid, I found a snapping turtle. I was a boy that grew up in Chicago, and so I didn't have much um, farm or wilderness experience. I just knew the alleys that you shouldn't walk through, you know, at night. That's, that's about it. Well, you know, I didn't have much to do with wildlife, but uh, there was this place uh, on, near the railroad tracks we used to call Cattail Valley because there was cattails growing in growing and a uh, little runoff water in between and, and a little pond where there was these little fish and frogs and whatever. <coughs> and I was, I was a boy. I was in Cattail Valley, and I was m- m- moving along there. And uh, I don't know. I must have been about 10 years old. I saw your daughter that's 10 years old, and I was telling her about this. <laughs> anyway, I was 10 years old, and I was, I was walking through, and I was by myself on my bike, big handlebars, banana seat. You know, this is way back. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, and, and a tire, a, a tire in the mud, it was a big tire like this, kind of like half buried in the mud. A tire moved. And I'm looking at whoa! What in the world? There's a big mud. It looked like a big mud tire, and it actually moved. And tires don't move. They're stuck in the mud. They don't. Move. And I looked at it again. It wasn't a tire at all. It was a snapping turtle. A snapping turtle, a biggest turtle I had ever seen in my life, before and since. It was a. It was huge. <laughs> it was. It was like I don't know. Must have been about that that big, and it was I don't know twenty five pounds or so. It was. It was a big, it was a big thing, and, it, and, it was, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and I go, whoa, what in the world? Get off my bike, and I'm looking at it, and I'm, I'm thinking, this is cool, it's a turtle. I'm, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, Timmy the turtle or something, you know, <laughs> not snapping, I didn't know what a snapping turtle was. You know why they call them snapping turtles? Because, <laughs> you know, you put your finger in there, it, they'll snap it off, I mean, they, they really will, they got this beak, and they're mean, you know, anyway, so I, I saw this snapping turtle, and so I... Jumped onto it, I grabbed it, I picked it up, and I didn't know what I was doing. It had these claws, and it was strong, and it put his, his claws on my fingers against his shell, and just like a vice, and I go, yeah! And I dropped it, and I go, what in the world? And it looked up at me and opened his mouth, it was all muddy and, and you know, covered with mud, but the mouth was pink. Opened his mouth and went, he goes, <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going... I'm not touching that mouth, or getting anywhere near it. I found a, a bucket, an old bucket somewhere, and I got that bucket, put the snapping turtle in it, put it on my bike, and I'm, I'm riding home with this, looking at that thing going, whoa, look at this guy. I didn't have no place to put a snapping turtle. <laughs> Maybe my sister's bedroom. <laughs> I should have thought of that. I didn't think of that. But anyway, so, so I bring it home, and you know what I did? I had to make some place to keep it, you know, and I had to build a some kind of a box, a terrarium so I, I, I went to work, left it in that, that uh, bucket, I went to work and I built this this terrarium is a big uh, a place with wood and screen and everything else and then i 'm thinking, okay, what does a snapping turtle eat? Go get the mouse <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, we didn't have a mouse. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking about, okay, what does it eat? What's, you know, what is it like? Does it, is it like to be in water? Does it like, and so I'm making a, a place for it. To, it, was, it was my terrarium for the snapping turtle. Hey, listen, it had to have a place to thrive. Uh, I, I, it didn't actually work. I had to get rid of it after a few days because I was killing it. But, you know. Um, <clears throat> but, folks, you want to know something? God made this terrarium for you. That's what the Bible says. You read the, the, the account of creation in the first five days. He made the light and he, he uh, made the planets and he, and he uh, separated from the water and the dry ground and the, and the air around it and, and he made the, the uh, animals, he made the plants, he made, he made everything, everything that this, this place could, could sustain life could have life, could, could provide for, for his crowning creation. And then that sixth day, he makes man that turtle to put into his terrarium. That's exactly where we are. Folks, that's the truth. God placed us in that, in that uh, surrounding for us. Look what the Bible says in Genesis one <clears throat> And God said, after he makes everything else, Everything's ready, the terrarium set, and God said, let us make man now in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over, hey, he keeps on using that word, dominion. Hey, man is the crowning creation. Man is to use these things for him. He is the one to to rule over, to to, uh, be the manager of these things. Over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him. He him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And subdue it and have, folks, it's important, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you, man, he's put, put that crowning creation, that last of his creation. I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree, and the, which is the fruit of the tree of the yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat." and to every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. <coughs> ah, now God was finished. And then he rested. It was, it was he, he did all of that. He made all of the, all of the, the, uh, 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 aspects, uh, all of the needs for man, for life on earth, and it was all for the intended purpose of man to have dominion over. And then he put man there. So, God planned all things out and He prepared a universe with the wonders and with the laws and marvels within the stars, <coughs> planets, and life here on earth. And then He placed man as His crowning achievement to occupy, to manage, to utilize it for His existence. And He commissions man to, as we read in, John, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, He says, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over. All the fish and all the the foul animal and the plant life and and everything, everything that he created. Man was designed to conquer, to use, to unlock the secrets of all the universe for himself and for the glory of God. That's the real purpose. That's the real intention of man. So the physicist and the mathematician and the scientist then has a vital and a purposeful existence to really to discover God's wonders and to bring him glory. But instead, when fallen pride of blind men stumble across a mere recognition of an aspect of divine complexity, then they swell up and and give Nobel Peace Prizes to one another. But they're merely discovering the sophistication of what God folded into his creation. I, I, I was going through these thoughts, and I made that statement, and I thought to myself, yeah, I'd like to, like to really see, see you know, if that's valid or not. The Nobel Prizes have, in a great part, been merely the discovery of God's amazing creation. But the Nobel Prizes for the last... Uh, I don't know, 10, 20 years. Nobel Peace Prizes. Well, we hear a Peace Prize, but there's prizes in, uh, you know, humanities like that. There's prizes in arts, and th- but there's prizes in in uh, physics, in chemistry, in uh, biology. The Nobel Prize in physics. Now, uh, listen, listen to these. 2011. Saul Permuter, Brian P. Schmidt, and Adam G. Reese received the Nobel Prize in Physics for 2011 for the discovery of the accelerating expansion of the universe through observation of distant supernova. So they discovered that the universe is expanding and they won a Nobel Prize for that. No kidding. But see, this God tips us off to uh, us in his word. That's exactly what he says. Job 26, verse 7. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. But this was before Galileo and uh, Copernicus. Uh, This was before uh, modern science has really taken hold. I mean, God has said, this is what what I did in, in the creation. And it says he stretches out the north. Isaiah 40, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. You Go to your shower curtain, and, and here's they're all bunched up, and you just pull it from one place to the other and, and spread it out. And you know what? The Bible, the Bible says that that's what God does with the heavens. He's stretching. And you know what? They just won a Nobel Prize because they discovered that. <laughs> you know, that's what God did. Folks, this is God's creation. Um, the Nobel Prize in Physics for in 2009 uh, won by Charles Quinn Cowell. Listen, for the groundbreaking achievements concerning the transmission of light in fibers for optical communication. Boy, we've really advanced because of, uh, what do you call that, f- fibers? Or what um uh, Optic fibers yeah we have really advanced with with medicine and with communication with all kinds of stuff and it's it's only discovering a little bit about the the properties of light when god said let there be light and we're just figuring it out today but they get nobel prizes for that uh the nobel prize in physics in 2002 by raymond davis jr and mara koshiba whatever for, this is what they got the, the prize in 2002 for, for pioneering contributions to astrophysics, in particular for the detection of cosmic neutrinos. A guy named Ricardo uh, Giacconi, in the same year, 2002, won the prize in physics for pioneering contributions to astrophysics, which has l- led to the discovery of cosmic ex- X-ray sources. Notice, <coughs> when I'm reading these, the key word, detection, or discovery, you know what? The, these are scientists that finally discovered what God did, what God has placed out there in his universe, and they're discovering these things now, and what it means to us, and how we can kind of harness the energy, or harness the the, uh, the uh, uh, knowledge uh, for. In chemistry, 2016, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry was a, you know what? I won't give the names. Uh, I'll just... You can look it up yourself. They're, they're listed. Each one of these, the laureates are listed. And and these three men, they won the, the chemistry Nobel Prize in 2016 for the design and synthesis of molecular machines. Again, it's discovering atomic function. It's, it's getting microscopes and getting the the uh, uh, electron microscopes and whatever it is nowadays that they're actually going down and actually discerning the the very... Elemental uh, parts of every of all of all of material that God has made, and they're they're just synthesizing that. They're looking at it, figuring it out, and they're saying, "Wow, aren't we smart?" Uh, actually, God made that, and they're just discovering it. And we're saying, "Wow, what a great job!" Yeah, and, and really, um, by the way, some of these. I don't even understand. I'm, I'm cherry picking because there's there's so many of these Nobel prizes in science, and I don't even understand what they're talking about. But folks, you got to understand, it's God's creation, God's creation. They're just synthesizing it. They're just figuring it out. Nobel Prize in, in Chemistry, 2015, for mechanics me- mechanistic studies of DNA repair you know, that's trying to figure out what DNA is. You know, what we came out with this DNA, and the guy that figured it out was, he looked at it like some kind of brain, and he's unbelievable. Hey, folks, he just discovered it. That's all he did. He found it. And now we realize there's so much more to that. At first they said, and you know what, all you got to do is go back a few years in science, and there's a bunch of what they call junk DNA. You know what junk DNA is? It's just, you know, because it's all haphazard, it's all because of chance anyway, there's going to be a lot of stuff, some good, some bad, and a lot of stuff that that doesn't mean anything. And you know what? They thought there was a lot of junk DNA, just like they thought there was a lot of vestigial organs in our body. And they've understood today there are no vestigial organs. Everything's made for a reason. There's a purpose. There's a design for everything we have in our body. Just Hang around a little bit longer and do some good study, and you'll figure it out. Well, this guy, he got the Nobel Peace Prize in Chemistry for just studies of DNA repair—how DNA repairs itself. And you know what? He didn't do the DNA DNA repair. He didn't design the DNA repair. He's just discovering it. Nobel Peace Prize, <clears throat> Chemistry, 2013 Nobel Prize. Um, went for the development of multi-scale models for complex chemical systems. Again, they're just uh, figuring out this is how they work. Wow, we're we're beginning to learn that. And they're the best of the best of the best of men. In medicine, the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 2015, uh, these two guys for their discovery concerning a novel therapy against infections caused by roundworm parasites. There's a parasite, a roundworm parasite, and this is, I, folks, I, I love science. You, I, maybe you can tell I love science, but there are parasites that nowadays people are putting into their body to cure themselves from uh, breathing uh, difficulties and from all, the because uh, the parasite wants the host to be healthy. So therefore, since the parasite wants the host to be healthy, it will produce some kind of whatever that will help that person get over, uh, uh, what is it that I have? The, uh, yeah, asthma, asthma. And that's a, I ain't putting no roundworm in my body. I'm just telling it. I'm just telling you. But they're, they're figuring out, and all of these things, these complex things of, of God's creatures that he's made, and you know what? He's, he's, he's figured out the, the discoveries con, con, concerning therapy that doing the same thing that roundworm would do to a body they're doing that so that a person can, can get over asthma ha, how about that a nobel prize in medicine for 2014 for discoveries of cells constituting a positioning system in the brain they're just discovering these certain cells in the brain folks <coughs> it's like if i were to open up my computer in my office and you know take it all apart and then you know just i mean absolutely you know pull it from one piece to the next And say, there I go, I figured it out. No, I just destroyed the thing. I don't have a first clue of what anything does in there, you know? And that's people looking at our brain today. But you know what? They're figuring it out step by step. And this guy won a medical Nobel Prize because he just discovered uh, these certain cells, uh, how they position themselves in the brain. Medicine 2013, the Nobel Prize went for discovery of machinery regulating uh, vessel traffic, a major transport system in our cells. It's talking about, you know, the, the cell was looked at like a, a blob of jelly about 50 years ago. It ain't no blob of jelly. You know what they've discovered? One human cell is more complex than all of New York City and all of the, the uh, facets and the and the, the complexities and everything else that goes on in a cell. See, these guys are just discovering these things, and they're getting a Nobel Prize for it. Wow! How about this one? Uh, 2002 in medicine, for the discovery that mature cells can be reprogrammed. How about that? Uh, they're merely discovering the amazing complications of God's design in his creation. 2010 medicine uh, Nobel Prize went for the development of in vitro fertilization. You know, that's, many couples that are, that are barren have advanced, advanced, taken advantage of these principles. Folks, they're just principles of, they're manipulating God's design and function of human life. You see, the thing, what I'm saying is, man thinks he's so wonderful and so great just because he's discovered some of the, but you know what, that's what God said when he put us, in charge of the, the, the world and the universe where he placed us he says there you go now subdue have dominion and figure it out bring out these secrets and then we have even in this congregation we have some who are scientists some who are in the medical field some who are in the technical field or or uh, the physics field where Man, we, we, we gain, we gain so much from, from these things. And like I say, uh, uh, the, these prizes, the Nobel Prizes are a great part, but merely the discovery of God's amazing creature. So before the backdrop of God's design for man, when, when we understand what God did, when he, where he placed man in this context of this terrarium that he built for man... <coughs> then we've got to come to the conclusion that man is regal he's honored he mirrors he actually mirrors god's dominion and god's creativity wow so we're going to try to answer that question biblically with these four answers who is man who is man four four ways that the bible tells us exactly who we are what is man what am i what am i purpose for who is man he is number one, according to what God has revealed to us, very simply, man is small. He is small in light of his creation. Folks, when you see how big this universe is, God has placed us in. You know, we, we, try, to, we try to get a hold of the, of, of the concept of how the universe is how, how vast our solar system is. The nine planets in our solar system, sometimes Pluto, sometimes not, but anyway, uh, it's, it's just so amazingly vast. And that's our solar system going around this sun. But this sun is just one star among millions, trillions of stars in our galaxy, which is. Uh, you know, how many light years apart from one end of our galaxy to the other? This clump of stars that looks like a, uh, some kind of a, uh, a, a painter's uh, uh, montage on a, on a canvas. All of these stars, the Milky Way we call it, just the vastness of this Milky Way, this galaxy is unbelievably big and huge. It would take light years to travel at the speed of light from where we are to the end of our galaxy, and we couldn't get there in our lifetime. Folks, that's how, that's how big it is. But that's just our galaxy. The next galaxy is, I can't remember the stats. I don't, I, don't, I don't have how far they are. Thank you. Do you know how far that is from us? How many light years? Anybody? Uh, some, somebody look at your Google. Quick. No, no, just put those phones away. <laughs> but I'm telling you, folks, b- between our galaxy and the nearest galaxy, which is Andromeda, thank you, is, is like thousands, millions of light years away. Folks, do you know from one end of the galaxy, of the known, not galaxy, but the known universe, when I say known, I should say this, how science describes it, the observable observable universe. It's uncon- unconceivably huge. The observable uni- universe is said to be over 13 billion light years in any direction. Folks, that means here we are on planet Earth, if we look this way with Hubble and with, with different uh, uh, telescopes that get beyond our atmosphere, that we can actually uh, look as far as we possibly can, Third. 13 billion light years, that, that means at the speed of light, at the speed of light the sun hit, its light traveling to earth gets to us in what, like 13 minutes uh, 6 minutes? 6 minutes thank you, got some scientists in here thank you, 6 minutes, it takes 6 minutes, for, for if you were on the sun and you turned a flashlight on first of all, you'd be toast okay? <laughs> But let's say the, the sun was dark, and, and, and we could see it. You turned a flashlight on at the sun, turned it on, it would take six minutes before we on Earth would see that, that uh, flashlight. Well, we couldn't see it because it's too far. But the light of the sun takes six minutes to travel to us. That's how fast the speed of light is, traveling 93 million miles away to get here. That's fast, folks. That is fast. I mean, it is faster than Domino's deliver, you know. It is, it is fast, fast. Now, going at that speed, 13 billion light years that way. If you went as fast as the speed of light, which today we can't do. There's no, there's no possible way that we can do that, that we figured out. But if you could, 13 billion light years it would take for you to end, to come to what those those farthest galaxies that we can see. Now that's 13 billion that way. And now if you point it this way, 13 billion galaxies. Folks, we're in the middle of this universe where that's how, that's how big the observable universe is, folks. But as we now know that that universe is expanding at an incredible speed, it's estimated that it's closer to 100 billion light years across, not just 26 billion light years, over 100 billion light years. That's a, bi- that's a big, when you, when you think about that, that's just the observable universe. And scientists today are playing with the notion that actually the universe may be infinite. And folks, when you, when you understand who we are, what does the Bible say? What is man? When you understand who we are, how big we are. In, this, in the scheme of this terrarium that he's put us in. Are you kidding me? Compared to that backdrop, David is dwarfed when he compares himself to the moon and the stars, the bigger universe, the smaller we become. He says in Psalm chapter 8, verse number 3, read it with me. This is what he says. When I consider the heavens the work of thy fingers the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained what is man how how small how insignificant are we when we come when we look at his the creation folks the bible tells us what is man the answer is small puny teeny in light of his creation. That's what he says. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou made him a little lower than the angel and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion. Can you believe that? God has made us to have dominion over this terrarium that he's placed us in. Over the works of thy hands, thou hast put all things under his feet. Whew. Wow. And this is what he says, verse, one, uh, verse three again. He says, when I consider... When I look at where I am in, in this bowl that God has placed me in, I mean, he got himself a turtle. He says, what does this turtle need? I'm, I'm going to make man, and I, okay, I want to take care of all of his needs. And he gets this, and he gets that, and, and, he, and he makes this terrarium. And when I see the, the in- intensity of his creation, what is man? So to answer the question biblically, number one, who is man? He's small. In light of creation, sure. Compared to that backdrop, then we're dwarfed, folks. We are dwarfed. When we compare ourselves to the Moon and the stars and the bigger universe, folks, as I said, the bigger the universe becomes, the more aware that we are, how big this is, the smaller we become, don't we? So who's man? Number one, we're small. In the light of creation. Number two, what is man or who is man? He's insignificant in light of the creator. Understanding that, say, folks, this this the, the, the created universe, the material universe that God has placed us in is a creation. God is greater than his creation. God is greater than the universe that he's placed us in. Jeremiah 23, verse 24 Can any hide himself in secret places, God says, that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Theologically correct. We're teaching the little ones in junior services and in the nurseries and whatever. A song that I didn't learn when I was a kid because I didn't get in church until I was an adult. Not a Bible-preaching church. But you know what they teach them? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are His. The rivers are His. The stars are His handiwork, too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. Folks, when you understand this God that made everything, that's what he says. He says, to God says, do not I fill. I mean, he, he occupies all of his creation. Second Chronicles 2, 6. But who is able to build him in house, seeing the heaven? And heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Whom am I then? Now this is, <laughs> folks, this is when David's passing off the scene and Solomon's taking, and he's supposed to build a house for God. And he says, how can I do that? Seeing that you fill everything, all of the heavens, the 100 billion observable miles of this universe. who is man well according to the bible man is insignificant in light of the creator daniel 4:35 and all the inhabitants of the earth nebuchadnezzar says are reputed as nothing everybody all of us all of us who feel like we're so big we have so much power we have so much influence i mean we are something hey according in, in this uh, with this backdrop against our god our creator nothing we're nothing all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him what doest thou and they say you can't tell god god what are you doing yeah you little teeny weeny beanie you know and and you know what that's what we got today got people today that are looking at God and say, well, oh, no, God is a bully, and God says this, and God, and he, he says this, and he, what right does he have? What are you talking about? He's the creator, don't you understand? Nobody, this is, a, this is a king that was debased, that was humbled. He says, no, God's in heaven. We're nothing. And God does whatever he wants. Nobody has the right to say, what doest thou? We think we're so big, we're so important, we're so impacting, we're so worthy. No, no, no! Not against the backdrop of God and who he is. In Europe, there was a king several centuries ago who had the, had the title great. I think it was Louis. Louis the Great. He had a, a number. And, and Louis the Great was his name. And at his funeral, he had planned his entire funeral. And in this cathedral that he had, it was supposed to be such a big thing, such a big deal. And his coffin was supposed to be laid out here. He, he did all the planning for his own funeral. And he said he wanted this one light right there in the center. And that light would, would that candle would represent him. And, and uh, Mr. Louis the Great was supposed to be uh, lauded in this uh, memorial service and on and on and on and on. And the minister of that day, He came up to begin the service, and he says, "Here we're to honor the the king, Louis the whatever number." He's called Louis the Great. He went, "Nobody is great but God." Louis was gone, by the way. (laughs) God's still around. (laughs) Okay, so who is man? He's small. In the light of creation, he is insignificant in the light of the Creator, but he's tainted in the light of God's holiness. Folks, what we have to understand is that uh, we are smudged, we are besmirched, we're not pure, not like God. Isaiah six verse number one. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Here Isaiah gets a glimpse of who God is in his glory. And he's only in a trance. He couldn't see. The, he couldn't be in the presence of God. He'd he'd burn up like a like a a leaf but here he is in this trance and he's he's seeing who God is in in this vision of God it says above it stood the seraphims. each one had six wings with twain he covered his face and with twain he covered his feet and with twain he did fly these are pure angels and they're covering themselves because of the purity of this God that they serve that they that they uh, served before and it says and one cried unto another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Here's this scene in heaven. And Isaiah sees who God is. And he is holy among all of his creation. And even the purest of the pure. they, 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 They blush to stand before this pure and holy God. So what does Isaiah do? What is his reaction? Well, look at the next verse. Says verse 5, then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Folks, you see, the thing is, when we understand who God is and his perfect law and his holiness, then we become tainted in that backdrop. Oh, yeah, we could be so good in uh, different uh, 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 categories, in in different baskets, did you know that there are no guilty people in prison? No, no, that's true. If you were to go into prison and, you know, talk amongst the the, uh, inmates, uh, everybody's there because of some kind of injustice, well it's wrong because i didn't do this or i didn't you know they they you know i had a bad trial or whatever no, nobody's there nobody's there because they're supposed to be there because it's right no, no no everybody's you know and you know what in prison it's it's interesting in prison there are those who uh, are inmates who are not they don't make the grade of the normal criminals the normal lawbreakers there's there's you know the we were talking about this yesterday in the men's Bible study. Seven uh, uh, levels of Dante's Inferno. Where well, there are those who come to a prison that even the, the, the inmates, even the criminals, will kill. They will they will snuff from this earth if they get a chance. They'll slip a shiv into into their br- uh, their their ribs if they can, because they 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 look at that and they say, now nah, they're disgusting. They don't need. They don't deserve to live. Oh, yeah, because they're so righteous. You know, see, the thing about it is, folks, we're all sinners. And you know what? If I sit next to Brother Chip here, I look pretty good. Yeah, because <laughs> I know Chip. <laughs> no, no, it might be the other way around, really. But you know what? That's what we do. We compare ourselves with somebody else. We compare ourselves to other sinners. Oh, did you hear about And you know what? That's what they did in Jesus' day. They came to Christ and they said, oh, these uh, 12 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell, now they were sinners. And Jesus says, you think they were sinners above all else? Unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Everybody is a sinner. See, but when we compare ourselves, which is not wise, the Bible says, we compare ourselves to other people in your family or in your nation or in your society. And you know what? Everybody kills babies, so you're okay, right? That, is, that, is that what God says? No, no, it's what's in, what's in the, the, the community that we are in. And we think that we're pretty good. Hey, everybody lusts. It's just, hey, it's entertainment and it's this and it's that. You, know. you don't have to worry about that. Oh, is that what Jesus said? When he says, no, no, a man that looks on a woman to lust after her in his heart has committed adultery already with her in his heart. Hey, listen, everybody has those, those feelings of hatred and whatever, and don't worry. Jesus said if you hate somebody in your heart, it's like you're a murderer. If you would have got a chance where you could snuff them out and get away with it, you would. And God sees that as, hey, folks, listen, we think we are so good, We're, but you know what? When we see God, when we see His holy law, then all of a sudden we don't look so good. Among that backdrop, all of a sudden, we're, we're in light of his perfection, his holiness, his power. I become imperfect. I, I become dirty. I become smudged. I become sinful. See, a sheep may look clean and white in a meadow of green grass. You're looking at that and say, oh, how white is that, is that animal? But you know what? Have it start snowing and the snow covers the, the meadow all of a sudden, you look at that sheep in a different way. How dirty. It looks muddy. It looks, it looks like it's. It, it doesn't look white anymore, does it? No, no, it, it looks mud stained against white. It looks filthy. Folks, we look pretty good when we compare ourselves in that. But listen, when we put ourselves to the backdrop of God, who is man? Tainted, muddy, filthy. In need of a savior, folks. Guilty. That's who we are. So who is man? Well, we're small in light of creation. We're insignificant in light of the creator. We're tainted in light of God's holiness. But folks, if you get nothing else, pay attention. Listen to this. This is worth the whole dollar you put in the offering, okay? (laughs) You're valued. In the light of God's love. Oh, thank God for that. See, God didn't do all of this for nothing. He didn't didn't create this terrarium just for nothing. It's for a purpose. It's for me and for you. And you know why? Because he loves us. That's what the Bible says. Job 7, verse 17. What is man that thou shouldst magnify him and that thou shouldst set set thine heart upon him? God sets his heart upon us. And that thou shouldst visit him every morning and try him every moment. Listen, God is concerned about you. He has you in this church. Listen to the word of God today because he loves you. And he's trying to bring conviction to your heart to help you see you're a sinner. You need to repent and you need to come to him for his salvation. Folks, pay attention to God because he set his heart on you. Can you believe that? He loves you more than anybody else in this world has ever or ever could love. God loves you like that. Hebrews two, verse number uh, twelve, verse number two. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, to sat down on the right hand. Of the, listen, you know what? You know what Jesus endured the cross for? For you and for me. I was in his mind, when he died for me. I was in his mind when he gave his life on Calvary because he loved me. I love that song. I love that song. That's the truth. I was in his mind. It was because of me, me, you. Because he said his, "You were the joy. That's why he came to die. Goodness, Romans 5:8. but God commendeth, he manifested, he showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much does God love us that much where he, he stretched out his arms and died on Calvary for you and for me? That's because of his love. Jeremiah 31, verse number three, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You see, you may think that his conviction is harsh. You may think that, hey, coming in here and hearing the the message of being a sinner, like in a church like this, like, man, that's mean. That's cruel. No, 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 no. That's God's loving kindness. He's drawing. He's 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 wanting you to accept His love, but you got to go through repentance first. You got to admit who you are you got to come to understand and, and and turn away from your sin to turn to God. Well, actually, you turn to God and then turn away from you. So you can't turn away from your sin without God, but you need to do that through repentance. <clears throat> That's his loving kindness. That's his acts of loving kindness. John 13, 1. This is right before he, he gave his life. He's laying his life down. And the Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved, notice this, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Folks, he didn't quit. He didn't quit on you. If you've ever been, if you've ever been, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, let down. If you ever been let down by somebody, God doesn't let you down. The Bible says he loved them unto the end. Even on the cross as they were spitting and as they were cussing and cursing him, mocking him. Jesus just prior to that said, you know what, I can call 12 legions of angels right now to release me, set me free. They didn't you know why because he loved us to the very end he gave his last drop of blood because he set his heart on you because he loves you love compelled him to earth to rescue his fallen creatures and that that love was displayed on the cross to the end he didn't come down showing that love folks what is man man is valued In the light of God's love, I am valued because God loves me. He set his heart on me. He's died for me. Our text in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, as we close, here's David. He says, but who am I? Who am I? God, who am I? What is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sword? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. Man, you can rejoice. And that God made us. He made you. He's rescued us as a race from our sin. He loves us. And now don't miss his offered salvation. Repent. Receive him and his gift of life. It's up to you. He's, he's provided all that you need. Now it's up to you to be saved. So preacher, I don't know what this born again thing is. Well, simply receiving Christ. Do it today. Don't, don't miss that love. Every head bowed.